time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. I can't wait for these gummies to kick in. I've had enough of this shit. I'm coming. <laughs> and that's not hot. I want to make that clear. Hey, welcome back to the Cold War Show. Yes. Episode two seventeen. I forgot about my soundboard. It's sitting here. Oh, it's unloved. Oh my you god. Yeah. I do, Lim. Yeah. Her ass was white as snow. Because <laughs> she had it bleached. The Mary or the lamb? I'm confused. Both. Uh, two for one. Two for one sale that day. It was a memorable day, my friend. Uh, my advice is get the sheep bleached first and then your ass because you don't want to hang out afterwards. You just want to go home and put your feet up after a good bleaching. Anyway, it's been my experience. <laughs> it's too much for a coffee oh, mug, God, but I, I wish hope it was I recorded that. Where's my record button? Somebody please. <laughs> wish I, <laughs> I can't see my record button. Oh. Uh, so we have yeah. exactly 24 minutes recorded so far. And the last thing we said was uh, the rapes might, and what? that because Tito had. Yeah, what the hell? I was like, what, what am I talking about? <laughs> it turns out I did record it. Uh, well, there you go. We'll have lots of fun with that mm. over the course of this show. Yeah. Oh. Uh, at the end of the last episode, Ray. Right. right. Uh, we talked yes. about all of them. December 1950, America's been pushed out of Korea. Um, <clears throat> British, not very happy with the Americans. The Americans, not very happy with the Americans. The Koreans, not very happy with the Americans. <laughs> You know who is happy about the Americans? Uh, who, who, who? Tell me, tell me. No, nobody. Yeah, that was a trick question. Oh, no, oh, nobody's happy with the Americans. No, you know what? If you're going to be negative, let me be positive for a second. If I could go into a TARDIS and go back to December, the end of December 1950, I would gather all the troops, General Walker's 8th Army, and I would get the Marines, even though the Marines generally did better on the retreat than the Army. I'd get them all together and go, you know what, guys? yes. It doesn't look great right now, but did you know that squirrels lose 80% of the nuts they hide throughout the year? So it's okay. You've lost 80% of your equipment. It's going to be okay. If the squirrels can survive the winter, then you can survive this winter. Nuts, artillery, it's really all roughly the same thing. Be a squirrel. Think like a squirrel. Survive like a squirrel. I think that would have made a huge difference. And their morale, if I've been able to give that speech. Let's say the you? anus is now closed. <laughs> <laughs> so you were less than impressed with my squirrel comparison. That's fine. You can just say it. You can just say it. You don't have to use my words against me. You can just say it. It's fine. <laughs> you didn't like it. Anyway, I'm done now. And I don't see. want to talk about it. It's painful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting naked. The fascinating, yeah, other fascinating stories for me too um, yes. were how the Americans were surprised by the Chinese. Major Floyd Martin, right, 
said everything that the Chinese were showing they could do, their aggressiveness was strange to us. What we knew of the Chinese in America was so different. They were so submissive. I need more cow gone. Most Americans expected the Chinamen to be dwarves and instead found themselves being attacked by men that were six feet tall and over. Wow. Um, so it seems like their idea of the Chinese was based on the Chinese in America who, right. um, you know, the, the, the coolies who had yes. been working over there. The you know, the, yeah, yeah. They had, that was their idea of what the Chinese were like. They're like, oh, my God, there, there are others? Wow. <laughs> fighting back. Stop it. Sorry. The big question for the Pentagon uh, was why the U.S. forces had collapsed so quickly. Now, publicly... Right. The the story was it was the just the surprise and the the numbers that the Chinese yeah. came in with the Chinese yes. offensive, uh, which was like unprovoked, as MacArthur was saying, completely unprovoked. <laughs> what, what did I yeah. do? Like what? Russia and Ukraine, name, completely name unprovoked. One thing. What? Name one what? thing I did. Exactly. What? Yeah. Nothing. Out of what nowhere. did we do? Yeah. No. No. We had no idea this was coming. <laughs> Uh, like Japan and Pearl Harbor. What? Right, We've just what? been cutting Shock. off all your oil supplies and your access Gasp. to goods and services for the last couple of months. We've been, what's that got to do and with tell, anything? And telling you why to would you China? attack us? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. Would you attack us? Yeah. yeah. So tell me what to do. Professional soldiers knew that the, the Chinese offensive in and of itself wasn't enough to explain the kind of rout that the army uh, that had, uh, the army that had like, Overwhelming superiority in at, yes. on, on the sea and in the air, the air at least. Exactly, exactly. They uh, and firepower, like with artillery, mm-hmm. that the Chinese su- couldn't even dream of, and supplies coming out of the wazoo. Literally, that's what that British general was saying. Is like they have so much supplies, it's actually slowing them down. They have to throw it away and burn it to keep moving. It would be laughable if it wasn't for the fact that it was slowing us down to the point where men are getting killed. That's yeah. kind of what he was saying. Yeah, but like the most, the richest, most technologically sophisticated nation in the world yes. um, to be just collapsing like this against yeah. a bunch of Chinese laundrymen, as they called them, <laughs> right was inexplicable. Now, they would also blame the winter and the landscape, but the Chinese right. had to deal with the winter and the landscape as well, and they didn't have superpowers. No. They were just humans. They were they less died. equipped than right. the Americans to deal with the cold. They didn't have sleeping bags. They didn't have snow boots. They the big overcoat, the great coat. Yeah. yeah. They just had Sorry, to get yeah. naked and spoon like we did in Vegas to survive the cold. <laughs> what a- what were we being threatened to buy? I can't remember. Um, uh, Augustus Caesar? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was standing there staring yeah. at us. They were just, less just equipped quick. than the Americans. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry, go, go ahead. Yeah, I apologize for that. Um, no, I, when I was reading through this, I was I was reading that the Chinese actually lost more men then the Americans due to cold, and they also lost more men from, from the cold versus being killed by the Allies. And so don't get me wrong, the Chinese suffered a lot, but they had military discipline, they had political discipline, they were marching down, and you've said this a billion times, they were defending their own border. Kind of a big deal. I think we would all strive mightily if, if our literally our country was being invaded. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, they have the chutzpah. They, they've got the eye of the tiger, whatever you want to call it. The Americans do not. And that is why the Chinese are winning, even though the Americans cannot grasp that. Because Again, because they are the greatest thing since sliced bread. This makes no sense to them. Yeah. Yeah, the Americans uh, didn't know why they were there. Most of them it didn't make any sense. What's this got to do with us? Why are we here? Yeah, I was in Tokyo getting a yeah. hand job, a rice yeah. job, whatever. <laughs> and now I'm here. Sorry, I don't know what a rice job is. <laughs> the Chinese had no medical care, no easy exactly. evacuation for the people with frostbite or the injured. Yeah. UN soldiers told stories about taking Chinese prisoners that had whole limbs blackened and dead from frostbite. Chinese veterans years later said that 90% of the volunteers in Korea, as they were all called, volunteers, suffered from some degree of frostbite in the winter of 1950. 90%. Mm. 90% of them had some sort of frostbite. Right. Can I? I ask a question. So if if the Chinese troops without ships, without planes, barely mortars, no artillery are winning, does that mean communism is better than capitalism, that East is better than West? Or have I just crossed a line and I'm going to hell at this point for even saying that? Well, I'm sure that is the way the Chinese would have uh, portrayed it at the time, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that was the great fear of the Americans. We can't allow right. ourselves to get defeated by smelly communists. <laughs> Communism has nothing to offer the world. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, they managed to turn it into, oh, the communists are brutal and scary and, you know, uh, they. it's not that we scary. lost it's yeah, yeah, that no, no, they're no. animals. They're cruel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're cruel. They're, they're animals. They're cruelty. Yes. They're, their people have to fight, man, because if they go back home, they'll get shot. They they use their people like uh, just bowling pins. They don't care exactly. about their people. They just send them out there to die. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Yeah. Oh, Whereas we right. care because we didn't force you to come to Korea. Wait a minute. I think I found oh, a flaw. Yeah. In our, yeah. You were, we forced you to come over. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Egg on my Anywho, ass. yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, a Chinese <laughs> army document uh, dated November 1950 that was captured by the UN said a shortage of transportation and escort personnel makes it impossible to accomplish the mission of supplying the troops. As a result, our soldiers frequently starved. They ate cold food and some had only a few potatoes in two days. They were unable to maintain their physical strength for combat. The wounded could not be evacuated. The firepower of our entire army was basically inadequate. When we used our guns, there were often no shells or the shells were duds. Oh, my God. So the Chinese had a really rough time in this whole venture as well. It was brutal to both sides. Mm-hmm. And you know you have to imagine that the the side that was the poorer of the two and had the less in the way of supplies uh, would have done it much much worse. I don't think ninety percent of the U.S. troops suffered frostbite. Right, and not only that, but the Americans are used to their creature comforts. They're used to their technology, and so when that doesn't work in this situation, you know the war, the battle spins out of their control. And we were talking about this earlier, but. Um, 
not only were the Americans not doing well, but because of the, the general quality of their infantry, that was getting their officers killed. And you need officers to control men who especially don't have a lot of training. So it was like a cyclical series of events, but it got worse with each passing day. And you and I have talked a billion times about um, Gaius Marius and, and the changes that he made to the Roman army. Do you remember Gaius's mules? He said, nope, we're going to break everything down and all you guys are going to carry your piece. And we're not going to have to, it's not going to matter about terrain. It's not going to matter if all of our mules or horses die. We will walk everywhere carrying everything with us. One, that made him a brilliant commander, which allowed him to stop the, the major German invasion, which um, we don't have to go into now. But it all, but it, it gets duplicated with the Chinese. They carry everything. They break it down. Um, and then they get to where they're going and they put it back together again. So, yes, it is absolutely horrible for them. But because they're fighting like gorillas, because that's all they can do, they're running circles around the Americans who, like you said, don't want to get out of their trucks. They don't want to leave the road. They don't want to leave their comfy sleeping bag behind the machine gun. This is literally something you got to get out there and fight. And the Americans just do not have that mentality. But in their defense, they were not trained that way either. Yeah, the Chinese um, also struggled to coordinate large-scale attacks to annihilate U.S. divisions instead of right. just driving them back. You know, the one yes. question that I had reading all this stuff is, well, yeah. why did the Chinese let them escape? Why didn't they just exactly. surround them and, and wipe them out? Uh, they couldn't do it. They they had trouble, uh, which we'll get into in a second, but mm. they basically won through psychological domination. Yes. Uh, not just at the front, but also with the commanders in the rear. The the U.S. Right. commanders had little faith in their own troops at this stage. Yeah. So the combination of this unknown swarm of Chinese coming in and not having faith in their own troops to stand and right. fight, sort yeah. of the combination of the two was overpowering for the Americans. But the biggest problem the Chinese had, as I understand it, is they didn't really have air support. So uh, they couldn't even move by day because mm -hmm. the U.S. aircraft would just strafe them. So, of course, and this is very well depicted, actually, in the Chinese film, The oh, Battle cool. of Lake Shenzhen. They, yeah. The Chinese would travel by night and then before dawn would bury themselves in the snow and all of their equipment and everything. Right. So... The, there's this shot in the Chinese film where, you know, there's a recon, American plane recon. They're out looking for the Chinese and they're swooping down. The, 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 there's a general in the plane. He goes, get down low. Oh, yeah, I yeah. want to get closer. It might be Armand or something like that. They get down really low and they're sort of swooping around and uh, can't see anything. They take off and as they after they leave, you know, these guys in the snow are sort of digging Puffing themselves the out of the snow yes. and moving. Yeah, they spent the day just buried in the snow uh, up to their necks, you know, um, right. to avoid U.S. aircraft. Jesus. Uh, they also had a, a nationwide system of air raid precautions. So they would have sentries every 200 yards that mm. would whistle or make a rifle shot if they saw American planes or if they heard engines coming. Right. So people right. had warning. So they had this massive, like, you know, miles and miles and miles. Old of, school. Yeah, old school warning signals. Yeah, hey, uh, work. If they heard anything Fucking coming. Work. Yeah. Mm. 
but, yeah, but you're literally right. They couldn't keep up. They couldn't run or go as fast as the Americans because they were so fucking fearful. Uh, they were getting the hell out of Dodge. And so it served the Americans well to retreat quickly. Can you say that in a positive way? Yeah. And it's probably the difference in air power that enabled right. the Americans to survive this early part of the campaign. Point. Um, yeah. And also let them keep going for the next couple of years. As we'll see, the U.S. spent the next couple of years basically just carpet bombing civilians right. in the north under oh. Operation Pressure Pump later on. Once Matthew Ridgway takes over, which we'll get to, uh, mm-hmm. it just becomes like a carpet bombing uh, exercise. That's how you do it. Which yeah. he was part of, obviously, in World War II in Germany, carpet bombing Germany. Yes. Um, they dropped oceans of napalm on North Korea over the next couple of years. Oh Even back God. here in December 1950, they were using the Tarzan bomb. You've uh, mm. read about Tarzan? No. Or Tarzan? Uh, no. Tell me about it. I don't know. It was the most advanced bomb ever developed at this stage. It was a radio-controlled bunker bomb. Uh, oh. You could drop it, and there's some great footage online that I've seen. You would drop this thing out of a B-29 and then... Mm-hmm. radio control it like uh, like a radio controlled car to its target. Yeah. Um, they used it to try and kill DPRK leaders in bunkers. They also used it to destroy bridges and dams. It was used, it was used in 30 missions in 1950 and 1951. Unfortunately, on mm-hmm. March 29th, 1951, they were trying, there was, there was a group of B-29s trying to strike against a place called Sinuju. Um, right. The group commander's aircraft had some sort of engine trouble, so the pilot radioed that he was going to jettison his bomb to lighten the load, okay. uh, and then the plane blew up. Um so they later discovered that when these Tarzan bombs were jettisoned at low mm-hmm. altitudes, they had a tendency to break up and explode. Um, oh, my God. So that was uh, a bit of a problem, and then they stopped <laughs> using them. And, oh, right. that, yeah, they went to the engineer. He goes, oh, yeah, that, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not really a bug. It's a feature, really. Um, <laughs> would you like me to remove that feature, sir? Oh, you would. <laughs> Could you get your foot out of my ass? Thank you, sir. Yeah, we just figured that, uh, you know, people who uh, drop their drop their bombs at low altitudes deserve to die. Like, why would yeah. you do that? If you, that if sounds you, right. If, you've got a, if you're flying your plane, your plane's got technical issues, that's on you, son. Yeah. That's got yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah. you know, don't try and jettison. Yeah. It's not the bomb's fault. Don't you come to us. You deliver the bomb. Yeah, don't yeah. come to us. We'd blow yeah. you up, man. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> we're crazy. We're, we're the wild card. <laughs> every oh, every army yeah. needs a wild card. Wear it. Yeah. Oh, could, if I could, real quick, the F eighty six sabers that are going around dropping these bombs, strafing the civilians, just to give you an idea of what these planes are capable of. Each plane had six machine Browning machine guns in it. It had rocket launchers. It could carry up to five thousand three hundred pounds or. 2,400 kilograms, I guess, of bombs. I mean, these things were death machines, and the Americans had a lot of them all over the place, just going up and down the peninsula, bombing, strafing, killing, which, again, which is one of the reasons why the Americans were able to get away, because the Chinese had to hide a lot during the day whenever the planes were around. Yeah. 
back to these Tarzan bombs. Yes, please. Of the total of 30 that were dropped in these 30 missions. God damn. Do you want to guess how many uh, hit their targets? See, you and I've done this a couple of times. We've been to the, I've been to this rodeo before, and I'm always wrong. Five, close seven. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Well, I purposely guessed, and then I cut it in half. I was going to say yeah. ten, but yeah, but that's not. Let me guess. That's not a good percentage. And and one of them blew up the group commander's aircraft. So yeah, okay. advanced latest technology. Not not the finest not, moment for the American no. military industrial complex. Uh, New, the Chinese was involved. Yeah, go ahead. Chinese also didn't have an air force. They also didn't have an effective intelligence service uh, <laughs> to infiltrate the US or the UN. What could um, they do? What could yeah, they possibly t- do? Turns out, uh, didn't really need one. <laughs> Why, Ray? Sorry. Well, they, they talked to a guy. Like 30 years later, let me see if I can find it here because uh, it was just, oh, here we go. So, so they, uh, they were talking about Marshall Peng, who's, you know, his uh, staff is in charge of the intelligence gathering. And they couldn't, you know, they, the Americans couldn't figure out how the Chinese knew what they were doing. But 35 years later, they talked to one of Peng's men and he says, it was very easy to get intelligence in the beginning. There was no censorship in the West at that time about troop movements. We gained much vital information from Western press and radio. The sneaky fuck. communists. Oh, you clever sneaky bastards. Fucking oh, communists. You look, you opened we my mouth. We had no mail. idea that you could understand uh, English. What? Right. You we have thought, a radio? You yeah, can turn we, it on? We thought, ah, oh, it's fine. They, they they speak chinky chink. They can't understand what we're saying. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Eventually, the Americans go, you know, maybe we should clamp down on some of this very detailed reporting yeah that's a good idea that's a good idea but again they were just able to listen to the radio and oh there's a new there's a new unit or this unit's moved over here or there's more planes i mean tell your enemies everything you're doing why don't you it's one of the first things matthew ridgeway did when he was uh put in charge of the eighth shut it down shut it all down so i don't introduce censorship Concerning the order of battle uh, from the media. That makes sense. Uh, Western correspondents, though, uh, introduced some private codes to get around that. The Eighth Army then asked for a press blackout on the UN evacuation of Seoul. Uh, But, you know, a journalist wrote about it within a couple (laughs) of hours. so the journalists were trying to evade US Army uh, censorship. Yeah, get the story out. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, this is why eventually the U.S. Army ended up sort of embedding journalists in inside it. You know, oh, uh, they would control them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they have very tight control these days on what's allowed out and what's not allowed out, except for guys like Seymour Hirsch, who right. uh, uses his sources and prints his own shit. But you know, it's, yeah, um, it's most impressive. of the U.S. media toes the line these days yeah. when it comes to coverage not you know just to protect uh, the order of battle and that kind of stuff but as you well know you know you can't show body bags coming home and all that kind of stuff morale yeah all that stuff yeah speaking of morale 
Did mm. you, I'm, I'm sure you read this, but so not only are the Chinese winning, but don't get me wrong, it's not like they're going, yay, we're winning because, you know, they were forced, they were ordered to come down here and start fighting, but they are defending their home, uh, their home country. So I'm sure they're very, they're very intense. They're very focused, but e- even the, the Chinese are even doing better than the Americans when it comes to morale, because like you said earlier, the morale, the, the Americans are like, we can't win. We can't win. The officers are like, my men suck. There's no way we can win. On the other side of the fence around the new year, you've got the Chinese going, you know what? I want to put a contest out there for every Chinese unit who can collect the most prisoners as a New Year's gift to Chairman Mao. So I'm not saying they're treating it like a game, but sometimes it helps if you have your workers or your soldiers distracted or you you, you come up with some kind of construct so they can kind of measure their success. Again, that might sound very simple, but I'm sure it worked brilliantly and they worked really hard to try to beat everybody else, which again, the Americans have nothing to combat with that. They're just literally running in the other direction as far as they can go. Their biggest fear is being left behind. You can't be an effective fighter if your biggest fear is being left behind. Mm. You wouldn't leave me behind, would you? Like if we're like, okay, we're the Grand Canyon, I fell off my mule, a snake bit me, and you have to either Mm. suck it out the poison Mm. or I die. Mm. What what say you? No, I wouldn't leave you because I'd be filming it. Um, (laughs) I'd be live streaming it uh, to get all those sweet, sweet... Oh, and then as I got delirious, you would ask me highly personal questions. So not only am I going to die, but I'm going to be humiliated on my way out. Thanks, Cam. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'll strip you naked and put wacky makeup on your face uh, when you can't stop me. So so it's like Vegas all over. Mm. Anyway, go ahead. Like I tell Chrissy, you know, when when she's old and she's got Alzheimer's, um, I'm going to uh, paint her face like the Joker every day right. and dress her up and wheel her around just for shits and giggles. Um, oh, oh, I got, I'm sorry. I have, I have to come. I have to top that when you're older and you can still get it up, but maybe Chrissy's paradise place is not as tight as it used to be. My anus is as tight as the day it was created. That's all I'm saying. Besides occasional doctor finger up there. I'm your man. In this case, I, I don't know. I'm just saying you got options. I, I feel uncomfortable now that I brought this up. So let's let's move on. <laughs> Lucky for the Chinese, as they captured American positions, they yes. also got hold of American supplies. So they would Thank get God. sleeping bags and weapons and food, medicine. Yes. This helped them keep going in 1951. Oh, right. But they also had to deal with all of the prisoners they captured. Uh, according right. to Li Hebei of the 587th Regiment, mm-hmm. the chief problem was to gather all the prisoners on New Year's Day. Should I do uh, Should I do a Chinese accent here? Like uh, I do a British accent, I do an uh, American accent. Uh, you know, on paper it sounds fair. Yeah, all right? But yeah. Something but, not right, just it's not. We'll get cancelled. Well, because of all the gunboat diplomacy for the last couple hundred years, I think that's off limits. Ah, but well, how would James Hong? I do it as James Hong. You know, the chief <laughs> problem was to gather all the prisoners on New Year's Day, and order was <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. On New Year's Day, an order was issued for our troops to compete to see what? which unit could collect most prisoners as a New Year's gift for Chairman yeah. Mao. 
Please. American prisoners at first didn't understand the lenient policy of our volunteers towards them, but after a period of right. contact, they began to believe it. We gave them whatever oh. we could offer to eat. One or two were very stubborn and would not admit that their action was aggression. Because of our right. poor weapons and equipment, they didn't take us seriously. So we did some work to persuade them. We told them <laughs> the U.S. is far from Korea, but the Yalu River is the border between Korea and China. If you cannot accept this, let us settle it on the battlefield. Oh, and that's what they're fucking doing. Can, can I just real quick, you were saying that the Chinese um, soldiers were sharing what food they had with the American prisoners, who sounds like some of them didn't appreciate it very much. Compare that to... On the last episode, you mentioned someone got hit by a truck or whatever. Well, there was a second gentleman who got ran over. He, I think one of his legs got ran over by one of the treads of a tank. They were on a narrow path or a bridge. He's and an so ROK right soldier, wasn't he? ROK soldier, yes. Thank you very yeah. much. He was an ROK soldier. And, and, of course, when he gets run over, some of the Americans start running over and, sh- and trying to help him. Oh, my God, this is horrible. You would think at the very least they would have bandaged the wound, give him something for the pain, and, oh, I don't know, throw him up on top of the tank that ran over him so he doesn't have to walk but another guy comes over and goes we haven't got time for this and he takes out his gun puts it to the wounded guy's head who's his ally and shoots him actually we, that I, is i that think is it was camp. an rok uh commander who did that oh was it oh, yeah. i thought it was an american ipod so no, but the point it's, it's, it's still an ROK the guy shot him in the head yeah right but, st- but the point i was and thank you for correcting me because i didn't want to get wrong but this is panic. This is a manifestation of panic. If you can't even take care of a guy for a couple of minutes or put him up on the tank so he doesn't have to walk or whatever. But if you're like, if you can't walk, we have to kill you. I mean, that just shows you that's just indicative of how much panic was running through the allied ranks. Or it's just, you know, the ROK view is like, yeah, listen, he's probably going to die anyway. Let's put him out of his misery. Right. We 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 can't we can't afford to carry him. We don't have the morphine. Uh, we can't afford anyone we, to weigh down. Should we ask struggler. him? No, ask him. no. <laughs> I mean, what's what's he going to say? Gonna... What's he going to say? Like, really? <laughs> no, go on without me. Shoot He's me. He's illiterate. He... he can't even read. I mean, what does he know? He doesn't understand See, how these if, things work. If he was an American gangster, he would have said, "Tell you what, give me a pistol." with at least one bullet in it, and I'll hold them off as long as I can. But when I can't, I'll use that one pistol on myself. And it sounds like the ROK commander went, no, it's okay, I can do it for you. Bam! Shot. Done. The, uh, the uh, British correspondent uh, on the 27th of December, 1950, wrote a private report to the War Office in London in which he said, <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, it is well nigh impossible. Is it all right if I do a Chinese accent for the British correspondent? Is it Please, less, for the love of God, do it. You want to do it so it, bad, is I it can less smell it. racist if I do a silly accent <laughs> for a British guy? Whatever you need to tell you. So. It is well nigh impossible for any man to retain a vision of the United Nations action in Korea as a great and essential experiment in international relations. Should he be subjected for law to the atmosphere of Korea? Inefficiency and squalor among the civil population make some contribution to the overall feeling of disillusionment. But the major fault, old chap, lies with the morale of the armed forces. Men of the United States Army so completely dominate the scene numerically that their attitude is all important. It can be very simply expressed. How soon can we get the hell out of this goddamn country? (laughs) 
That is the one question in the minds of every GI and almost every officer up to the rank of colonel encountered in Korea. Half has no thought beyond the single objective of escape. Of the remainder, a few felt that crossing the 38th parallel was a mistake, either tactical or moral. But Mm. far more took the view that the United States should stop consulting anybody and should use the atomic bomb. They did not wish it employed against the North Koreans or even to any great extent against the Chinese communists. Their emotional reaction to the whole problem was that the Russian is solely responsible and that therefore (laughs) the logical thing to do, you see, would be to bomb uh, Moscow, atom bomb Moscow, offensive thinking amongst Koreans or even to, uh, no, but stop, 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 let me start that again. Offensive thinking amongst junior officers and men was confined almost entirely to the Marines. It was prompted mostly by a drive for revenge for the losses inflicted on them at the Chosin Reservoir and was accompanied by a distrust and contempt for higher leadership almost more frightening than the lack of fiber of their army compatriots. There can be few occasions in history when officers and men of a fighting force have expressed themselves so freely and violently in public on the subject of their commanding officers. Mm. So Sorry. every every time we get behind in a game, we're just going to use an atomic bomb. But they but they didn't want to bomb the North Koreans or the Chinese. No. They wanted to bomb the Russians. Yeah, that Why? makes sense. Because, you know. They're, they're controlling all the levers, can't you? They're the man behind the curtain. God damn, am I the only one that can see this? <laughs> Drop the bomb. Could you picture uh, it's really the pentaveret that are controlling things. Have you watched the pentaveret yet? The pentaveret? No, what is that? I haven't heard Mike, of it. Mike Myers' new Netflix series um, right. about the secret organization that's ruled the world for a thousand years called the pentaveret. Oh, not the Illuminati. I stand no, corrected. Okay. It's the pentaveret. But he plays about uh, eight roles in the show. <laughs> I love it when they do that all with completely different accents yeah you know he does an australian he does like rupert murdoch basically in it with this broad australian accent it's great he plays (laughs) one of the characters in the pentaver one of the guys who rules the world is shep gordon alice cooper's Uh manager who's right a real guy and still alive but mike myers plays him as this uh, new york jew uh, he talks like this, you know. Right. Uh, I don't know what we're doing, but it's okay. Um, anyway, it's good. It's good. If you like Mike Myers, it, it's just Mike Myers, yeah. man. It's it's just yeah. it's, nothing's changed. It's just still Mike Myers. There's you know dick jokes and right. fart jokes, and it's uh, it's good stuff. It's funny, lightweight, so, funny. Uh, no, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, so it would have been not funny, funny if we had dropped an atomic bomb or two or three on Moscow, and somehow the war in Korea still kept going. Would anybody like to explain that to me, please? Mm. But fortunately, we did not. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about in in this report from the British correspondent is that, you know, from his experience, um, uh, the Marines were incredibly um, critical of U.S. command in public, openly and loudly. And we know Chesty Chesty was Chesty Puller. Chesty uh, was Son critical himself, yes. and you know these guys didn't get along, and the, the commanding levels, and apparently it went down into the troops, and the troops were um, very openly 
right. angry about what a fuck up General MacArthur and the senior ranking officers had made of the whole thing. Now, yeah. back in the US, there were lots of debates going on in Congress about mm-hmm. Korea and also just about America's ability to counter, contain the Soviet mm-hmm. Union in Europe and Asia. There were some, yeah. Republicans particularly, I think, uh, were making the argument that it did make sense for the US to station a m- massive land army in every NATO base, Oh my God. Uh, which I think was the plan at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were saying, look, the American economy just can't sustain the cost of doing that. You know, right. Fast forward 70 years. <laughs> there uh, we are. You know, $800 billion a year yeah. is going into funding US bases around the world. But back then they didn't really understand right. how important that was going to be for the US economy. Uh, they said, look, our approach should really be based on air and naval power. We'll provide yeah. that. Uh, around Europe and Asia. They called it an offshore perimeter strategy. Nice. Basically leaving the land defence of the mainland to the nations where the bases were based and uh, the US providing air and naval support on the coast. Basically gunboat diplomacy, right? Surround Europe and Asia with, uh, you know, missiles, submarines and, you know, shippy ship things. Uh, Be ready to fuck something up. Plenty plain things, yeah. There we go, fly. Senator, Senator Wary, the Republican from Nebraska, mm-hmm. argued that Korea was an object lesson in the difficulties of fighting uh, in Eurasia. Right. He said Korean losses were almost negligible compared to what we would suffer if our ground forces received the full weight of the Red Army in Europe. Mm-hmm. So... But there were these. Uh, on one hand, they wanted to contain yeah. them. On the other hand, they realised, really, can we, you know, can we even do that with land forces? Are we even capable? Apparently not. Right. Clearly, that's a, a flaw in our plan. And and can I just give Stalin a little bit of credit? If he had wanted to attack in the West, wouldn't now be the perfect time? Morale is is low. Everybody in America is bitching at each other. They're questioning everything. Now would be the time to strike. But again, Stalin doesn't want war. He just wants to be left alone. And he's got fuck all to do with Korea. But the Americans have made up their mind. Yeah. And, you know, he also knows the US have nuclear weapons. He doesn't know Mm -hmm. how many. He's probably got one by this stage. But he's, you know, uh, doesn't have have a hundred of them. Right, <laughs> and, he's, and he's got his own problems, uh, yeah. and yeah. I genuinely believe, you know, he he didn't want uh, another war. He couldn't afford another war at this juncture. Right. Just leave me alone. Leave us alone. Can, is that yeah. asking too much? Just leave us alone. But the US weren't sure what their next move was going to be. Now it seems Truman, like right. most of the troops, uh, just wanted to get out at this stage. He was yeah. like, "Oh yeah. fuck, what have I got myself into here? Police yeah. action. What kind of an idiot am I?" He was slapping yeah. himself every night before bed. <laughs> and, what have I it. done? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. He wanted to force a settlement, which would go back to the status quo of the 38th parallel: north in the that north, south in the south. Everyone yeah. agrees, go back to your own sides. Uh, MacArthur, of course, uh, wanted to escalate things into a full war with China because he was batshit fucking crazy. 
here's that's what he told Matthew Ridgway, General Matthew Bunker right. Ridgway. Um, not a nickname, by the way. Real name, name Bunker. Bunker. Oh. Bunker. Just his family lack, called lack, him Bunker. Lack of imagination. Please continue. Named after uh, McNulty's uh, partner in the <laughs> wire, Bunk right. Morland. They were big fans of Bunk Morland. Was like, uh, you know, you had to go and do it again, Jimmy. Sticking your nose in where it's now wanted. Um, I gotta watch that again. Oh yeah. Well, David Simon has a new show out. We just started watching last week. It's called We Own This City. Oh. It's uh, based. It's set in Baltimore again. Twenty years later, corrupt cops. Basically, uh, he's just picked it up where he left off. He goes, 20 years later, nothing's fucking changed in Baltimore, <laughs> man. Cops are still corrupt. Government's still corrupt. Everything's still money, corrupt. Baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you love David Simon, check that out. Uh, we own the city. John Bernthal, who I'm normally not, don't really like John Bernthal. He, I don't mm. think he's much of an actor, but he's pretty good in this. He plays the main corrupt cop in cool. it. And he, uh, he does yeah. a good job. Yeah, yeah, sort of a redneck cop, you know, sort of mm. out there in the streets kicking kicking ass. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, do, 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 do. So, yes, Truman wants to negotiate a settlement. MacArthur wants a full-on war. He told General Matthew Bunker Ridgeway when he took over command of the 8th Army in late December 1950. Uh, mm-hmm. A few months later, he'd take over overall command away from MacArthur Right. But we'll get to that later on. When when Bunker Ridgeway, by the way, received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1986 mm-hmm. from President Ronald Reagan, do you know what Reagan said? He said, well, who are you? No, I, I, I don't. I, I don't know. What am I doing? Mommy? What yeah. am I doing? <laughs> Who's what pinning am I this doing on here? who? Are what am you I doing this here? on me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you seen... Nancy gives mother, a great head. Ma, yeah. Sorry. Mother, where's the cocaine at? I need the, I need the cocaine. Mother. Uh, he said, heroes come when they're needed. Great men step forward when courage seems in short supply. Well, it sounds like George Bush. I don't know why I'm doing that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Reagan. <laughs> I know, it's so long since I've heard Reagan. Well, I, uh, I just have to do it like yeah. this. Uh, heroes come when they're needed. Uh, great men uh, step forward to encourage seems in short supply. Now it sounds like the older Bush. But yeah, I'm that's not, right. That's what this guy's like. Uh, <laughs> it's a younger Bush and then the older Bush. It would but not be, like uh, <laughs> Maybe all the Bushes are sounding like Reagan on purpose as an homage. Uh, it would not be prudent at this junction. Yeah, it's a bit uh, older Bush. Uh, I can't. It's yeah. more Dana Carvey doing an older Bush, but. Um, yes, I love him. Uh, uh, heroes come when they're needed. Great men step forward when courage seems in short supply. Now, funnily enough, also the motto mm-hmm. of this podcast, um, the unofficial motto of this podcast. I, it sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Heroes come when they're needed. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, the Republicans were ready to accuse Truman of being soft at communism at the slightest hint For of a treaty sake. that didn't look like a win. Right. So on one hand, they're saying, look, we don't really have the forces to hold back communism, but if you fucking don't hold back communism, Truman, you fucking watch it, we're coming for you. You're in charge. Now, there's also a debate going on in the UN at this juncture about whether or not the Chinese were the aggressors or just defending themselves and their ally, North Korea, 
UN representatives from Iran, Canada and India had formed a ceasefire committee on the 14th of December. They presented uh, UN terms to China for a ceasefire. China rejected it as being a purely military arrangement and not a wider political arrangement for what happens after we pull our forces out. That's smart. Chinese saw it as just the US buying breathing room uh, so they could come back and and take over the country again. Why should the Chinese trust anybody at this point? Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So they outlined their own terms for a peace treaty, which included oh. a UN seat for China, uh, all right. foreign troops to be withdrawn from Korea, You're out of and here. the removal of US forces from Taiwan. Oh, playing a deep game. Sorry, yeah. Now, the US obviously told them to go fuck themselves, and so (laughs) China launched a new offensive on the 31st of December, which forced the UN forces out of Seoul, pretty much kicked them right out of the country within a couple of weeks. Now, at this point, the US wanted to abandon the peace process. They were putting pressure on this ceasefire committee to um, just cut it the fuck out, stop embarrassing us. Yeah, yeah. But Britain insisted that the ceasefire committee try again. They apparently were trying to appease India and Canada in particular, probably mm-hmm. Iran as well, all strategic partners for Britain, obviously Canada yes. and uh, India, part of the Commonwealth. Uh, God bless the Queen, uh, yeah, yeah. as was Australia. It's still, it's still it's uh, part of the Commonwealth. And El uh, Chap, yes, very good. Yes. Um, so they, they were trying to appease both the Americans and the, the Commonwealth partners. Uh, good luck and with that. Iran, where they were yeah. still trying to get um, oil, uh, pre-Mossadegh, uh, right. kicking, kicking them out of Iran. So they're trying to keep them happy as well. Uh oh. Dean Acheson, Secretary yeah. of State under Truman, warned the British ambassador on the 5th of January that if he failed to condemn China as an aggressor, in as the aggressor in all of this, right. the UN would end up like the League of Nations. It would be toothless oh. and NATO would fall apart. Everything would collapse if we but you have, got it. The other guys yeah. have got to be seen as the bad guys. Like right. this is the f- first rule of international conflicts we have to make out the other guys are the bad guys we're the good guys do you get this? i don't know why we have to keep explaining this to you they go well <laughs> really they were just defending yeah, uh, facts max max yeah. Yeah, 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 i don't know why yeah. you fucking toffee eating guys and your fact-based approach to these things what uh, matters here isn't the facts what matters is public perception numb nuts oh my god so Amer- american politicians have been lying and spinning things since forever it- since there's been an America and this is just another example. I don't care about the truth. I don't care what it could lead to. We have to win this PR war. They have to be labeled the bad guys, even though we're clearly the bad guys here. I love this country. He warned that um, if they didn't portray China as the bad guys here, Mm -hmm. a wave of isolationism would sweep the country and, and, you know, America would have to pull out of defending Europe Yes. Uh, and we can't oh, allow can't allow no, this to no. happen. No dominoes. So the ceasefire group came up with uh, another attempt anyway. They called it the five yeah. principles. Right. Trying to bridge the gap between the US and China without upsetting India and Canada, which you know would have had major consequences for the Commonwealth. Uh, 
so there would be these five principles included a Korean ceasefire that would and that would create like a a, a body uh, mm-hmm. That would include British, Soviet, US, and Chinese representatives to discuss the future yeah. of uh, Korea, Taiwan, Beijing's uh, UN seat, all of this sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we, we're not going to commit to anything, but yeah. we'll commit to talking about stuff and getting everybody together. That's better than fighting. Yeah. Now, the, the this... Um, Ceasefire, the first principles, Washington wasn't very happy about it. Right. Because they didn't want to discuss any of these things and they didn't want to uh, pull their troops out uh, permanently because they wanted yes. victory, right? They wanted to yeah, But yes. we have to if they said no to the peace treaty, then that oh. made them look like the bad guys. Yes. If they accepted it, then the Republicans would come after them for oh my being God. weak on communism. So the Truman administration's in a difficult political situation here. It sounds like they wanted to they wanted to get out, uh, right. and cut their losses. Yeah, but uh, you know, if they agreed to that, the Republicans would have their balls for breakfast. And if they rejected these things, they're going to upset the British. Um, you know, they're going to put themselves in a politically uh, difficult situation because they need. The British on board, right? They need yes. when America does this kind of shit. Oh, you know, yeah, it's even be today, international. Yes, it needs coalition. to look like it's an international yes. coalition. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, that's um, our one go-to. Yeah. In the end, Atchison said, "Look, we should accept it because the Chinese will reject it, uh, and we will say, well, we knew they. We only accepted because we knew oh. they were going to reject it. We didn't really want to accept it. Blah 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 blah. It was right. a difficult balancing act. In the end." They, they sort of accepted it, but they weren't committed to it. Uh, this whole five principles seat thing didn't commit them to anything, just would talk. Talk, right. talk. It reminds me again of um, Stalin's approach at Yalta. Yalta. <laughs> Look, yeah, uh, we, we, will, we, will, we will talk about these things, absolutely. Yeah. We will we'll talk and it will be, it'll be wonderful. Don't you worry yeah. about it, yeah. my friend. Trust me. Have some more vodka. It's, yeah. it's good vodka. Yeah, we will... Yeah, it's all good, my friend. We will talk later. You will see. Uh, Russians love talking. We no, will talk and talk yeah. and talk and talk and, and talk and drink and talk and drink and dance. We love to drink and dance and talk. This is what we like with to bears. do in Russia. Drink with, and dance with bears. Naked with bears. Yes, you come with us. <laughs> we will talk, but you have to get drunk and get naked with the bears. This is uh, how we do it. Put your finger up the bear's ass and I trust you. Then we can be brothers. I put my finger up the bear's ass all the time. This is yes, how, yes, uh, yes. Either you put your finger up the bear's ass or the, finger, or the bear puts his finger up your ass. Either, either way. way either, either way, way is acceptable I have to me. It's all yes, good. yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm going to record it either way. So pr- brace yourself. But can I, just, can I just say real quick, so the Democrats are like, okay, we, we there's been talk of a nuclear war, which... I think we can all agree is bad. A lot of men are dying. We're getting our, our morale is low. Our reputation is suffering. We have an opportunity to pull out and save everything but face, which means we'll probably no- lose the next election. You know what? I'm not willing to do, do that. I'm not willing to sacrifice letting the Republicans win the White House. Uh, 
in lieu of this war. So again, it, this is a political decision that we see all the time now. It's it's disgusting, but they're literally choosing their own political survival over you know the lives of of, of hundreds of thousands of troops. Again, it, the whole thing is just they're a bunch of cowards uh, and they're short sighted. Yeah, like, but the Democrats have only been in power now for seventeen years, Ray. They, they, they've <laughs> got to give them a chance. They're just warming up, just yeah. getting good, getting into a rhythm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fuck that. Now, as Acheson had predicted, uh, China right. rejected the UN's deal uh, on the right. 18th of January because, again, it was putting uh, military arrangements ahead of political discussions. They ah. wanted to sort out and settle the political discussions first. And once yeah. we have agreement on that, then we'll pull the troops out. We're not going to pull our troops out and then have to come yeah. back six months yeah. from now when you fuck us over, right? Yeah. So they, you know, proposed a seven-nation army uh, that could never mm. hold them back. Uh, right. They just, they the, the Chinese marched into the UN going, bum, 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 bum. And it works. And we've had peace ever since then. Yeah. Seven Nation Conference to be held in China, which would settle the Korean issue and the Taiwan issue, these sorts of issues. Beijing would get a UN seat right from the get-go. But Washington seemed thought that this seemed like a demand for unconditional surrender, uh, so they said no. On the 20th of January, the US representative on the political committee tabled a draft resolution condemning China as an aggressor and mm. calling for a special body to consider further measures against Beijing. Wow. And so the whole thing just starts to fall apart. Diplomacy right. here is not getting very far um, Washington starts cracking down on uh, their UN allies, saying, listen, you just need to get the fuck on board here. We, we need to attack China hard. Yes. So the, the Truman administration uh, had put themselves in, in a difficult situation when they accepted the five principles, even though they knew that China would reject them. Now the Republicans are attacking them oh. uh, as, a, as, you know, appeasing China. Right. Uh, they're probably saying, oh, it's just like Hitler all over again. Right. Then a resolution was introduced in the House on the 19th of January calling for the condemnation of China. Similar move was made in the Senate. Mm. And basically there was no room for compromise anymore. They were just right. basically attacking China as the aggressor and the enemy and going in nuts and everything. <laughs> but India, Britain, Canada and Australia were all pressing for more negotiations with China. Right. They were holding firm on this. The Commonwealth countries thought this is ridiculous, particularly, you know, with the, the bad performance of the Americans and the bad yes. morale and the treatment of the others. It's just the Commonwealth have had enough. This was a bad idea to begin with. We didn't want to do it to begin with. We went along with it and you fucked it up. Uh, it's time to just, you know, draw a line under it and get out. Clement Attlee, um, who was still Prime Minister right. in the UK, he, he tried to convince the Americans to, you know, 
take a reasonable approach to this and back down. And he had yeah. his own problems domestically back at home as well. British opinion. And not oh, yeah. only had he deal with the rest of the Commonwealth countries that were on his nuts over this, particularly India, which was obviously a, a major one, but a lot of trade with India. Yes. But also the public opinion had totally turned against it. Uh, as cabinet, the British cabinet noted on the 18th of January, there would be great difficulty. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm telling me sorry. There would be great difficulty in enlisting the support of public opinion in this country for any extreme action by the United States. It's, it's not going to happen, you see, old chap. No. People don't want it. I can't emphasize this enough. The you know, the Chinese intervention basically ended any sort of popularity in the public mind in England for the war. They're like, oh, fuck, we just, you told us it was a police action. Yeah, and now Two days, in yes. and out. Yes. Now it's, there's this whole other fucking thing with million Chinese. No, we're we're no, we didn't sign up for this bullshit. Yeah. We're On top of that. World War Three. yeah. Reports were hitting the media of new uh, uh, ROK atrocities, atrocities committed by the South. Oh my God! Uh, there was a max mass executions being carried out by the South against oh, South, dude. the yes. Southern Koreans, their own people, traitors, uh, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, people, the communist sympathisers. Right. The British troops were outraged by this, uh, mm. as was the general public when these things started hitting the media. I um, did dig through newspapers.com to uh, find some of these stories. Right. Here's a story from um, the Birmingham News, Birmingham, Alabama, November 7th, 1950. Some cried, others complained. Fresh grave yawned at 16 men, four women in ROK executions. AP correspondent Bill Shin saw the execution of 20 convicted Koreans at the invitation of the Republic of Korea commanding general. Shin, a Korean, was the only newspaper man there. This moving story may be the last of its kind. An ROK army order bans correspondents from attending future executions. Wow. Seoul, November 7th, Bill Shin, AP, 16 men and four women, war criminals, were executed by the South Korean Army today on a hill four miles west of Seoul. They were shot by carbine and rifle fire as they crouched in their mass grave, dug by some of the military police who carried out the execution. They've been given the death penalty by the ROK Army's military court on charges of aiding the enemy and violating South Korea's national defence law. 25 men and two women similarly convicted were executed yesterday. The 20 condemned were taken to the hill today in a truck guarded by six South Korean MPs and one woman soldier. Some, not knowing their destination, asked what would happen to the blankets they had left at Seoul Prison. They were ordered to dismount from the truck and walk up the hill. A grave seven feet square and three feet deep had been dug there. The convicted Koreans marched with hands tied behind their backs and heads bent low. MPs held guns on them. Some prisoners were crying. Others complained that injustice was being done. Flooded with tears, a white-clad 30-year-old woman appealed to this correspondent. Sir, I am now aware that my last time has come. I have only one thing that I would like to ask your favour. Please say hello to my three little children, my eight-year-old daughter, six-year-old son and six-month-old son. They are with their aunt. Please do mercy, please. One skinny elderly man interrupted, why do you say anything? It won't do any good. 
Captain Kim Kwang Chung, MP Executive Officer, said the woman, as chairman of a People's Committee Inspection Committee, indoctrin- uh, sorry, a People's Communist Inspection Committee, indoctrinating women in Seoul, had mobilised women to make underwear for the Red Army. She made a last appeal. Perhaps I'm a bad mother, but please take care of my three little children so that they can become good citizens. One 40-year-old man said he had saved the lives of 12 members of South Korean police and army families. Another elderly man pleaded for just one more day. He said he was sure to be proved innocent. A third man said, I can help you pick up 12 communists hidden in the Incheon area if you let me have a chance. All the others wanted to say something, but they're crying and talking mixed together. It was hard to understand them. One 18-year-old girl, the youngest of the group, prayed, oh, our Father in heaven, please help me. The military court said she'd served the Red Army as a woman volunteer and had attempted to kill Americans in Seoul with hand grenades on September 23rd. Six MPs stood behind the convicted Red collaborators with carbines awaiting the firing order. The condemned were huddled in a group, a telephone operator, a maid, two students, a farmer, two day labourers, four merchants, a bookkeeper, a clerk, a carpenter, a bank officer, an ironsmith, an actor, a printing compositor, and two unemployed. Jesus. Captain Chung Pyong Hai, a lawyer witness of the execution, and Lieutenant Song Ki Jai, an MP surgeon, were watching. The mother of three said her husband was missing after entering the Red Army as a volunteer. She was still pleading for mercy when shots broke the quiet of the peaceful hill under the clear blue Korean winter sky. Several shot through their heads and backs crumpled, Mm. blood poured out. Two women were killed in the first volley, but others of the condemned still were breathing and moving. The MPs fired finishing shots. Then they filled over the shallow grave. The executions brought to 91 the total of convicted communist collaborators killed by order of the South Korean military court in Seoul since the return to the capital, its return to the capital city in early October. Jesus. Um, Now, okay, a little bit of uh, brutality there from the South Koreans, uh, but, you know, I was thinking reading this that you don't see those sorts of stories in the American media anymore. Right. Uh, You didn't see talk of Americans or Iraqi allies executing Iraqis in Iraq or in Afghanistan. We know it happened. In in the media at the moment in Australia, there's a court case being covered. It's been going on for several months now Mm -hmm. where an Australian soldier who had been in Af- served in Afghanistan is up. Uh, he actually won an award in Australia, like an Australia Day or Order of Australia Award or something for his service. He's been on trial for uh, brutality and assassination oh, as, during his time as a soldier. Charges were brought against him, and a lot of the stories are coming out in, by witnesses of brutality uh, by Australian soldiers, executions of civilians right. by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, and an uh, uh, execution of civilians. and and But, you know, you don't normally see that sort of stuff covered yeah. in the media these days yeah. uh, with this sort of um, brutal, um, I don't know, transparency of the victims and their stories. Right. And because it, it, it builds sympathy. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Generates sympathy for the enemy. So stuff just doesn't get done these days. Like the embedded journalists allowed with the army, they know they're not allowed to talk about this stuff. Yes. There are certain things you're not allowed to cover anymore. You have to go back in time to read this stuff. 
Here's another story I dug up. Um, this one's from the Montreal Gazette, dated 21st of December 1950. Mm-hmm. British CO sends officers to halt ROK executions with British forces in Korea, December 21. Two British officers today broke in on the execution of about 40 prisoners by South Korean military police. They saved 17 persons, including a young woman. The officers acted on orders of Brigadier Thomas Brody, commander of the 29th Commonwealth Brigade. General Brody said tonight, I'm not going to have people executed on my doorstep. My officers will stop executions in my area or within view of my troops. The interrupted shooting took place within a few hundred yards of General Brody's headquarters. One of the British officers present said he found 23 dead or dying in an execution trench. I told Korean officer to ensure that all were dead before filling in the trench and to get the hell out of there, the officer said. Another British lieutenant who later visited Seoul jail said a Korean asked him whether it was all right to take prisoners back tomorrow and shoot them. The Briton told him his orders were that no executions are to be carried out near British troops, inside of British troops, or within earshot of British troops. So execute away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just don't let us see it. We don't want to see that. Smell it. Know of it. As long as I don't know. Just take them around the corner and do it quietly. Don't, you know, take them out and throw them to woo's pigs. We don't want to, we don't want to see it. We're delicate. We're British, don't you understand? Don't you know? Um, So uh, they put pressure now on Re. The Americans (laughs) were deeply concerned about all of these reports, not were concerned about the executions per se. They were were concerned about the emotional reporting. Don't do that. And that it would drive a wedge between the US and Britain. The public disillusionment with the war was what upset the Americans. But both the US and UNKIRK, the UN Commission for the Unification and Rehabilitation of Korea, mm-hmm. sent, you know, put pressure on Rhee, sent messages to Syngman Rhee to say, listen, can you uh, cut this shit out in public? It's really embarrassing right. us and it's causing problems. Yeah. I think, I think Un-Kirk, they actually said, you're a Christian. Could you please fucking act like it a little bit? Thank you. And he said, I am, motherfucker. <laughs> this is uh, the, the Crusades. Yeah. Um, Unkirk was headed by an Australian, James Plimsoll, mm. future ambassador to the US, USSR, Belgium, a bunch of different yeah. places, um, and also the f- uh, future governor of Tasmania. He told Ree to cut it the fuck out, and apparently Ree said, look, there's a war on and we have to take measures, but finally he agreed to end public executions, but... Um, Unkirk privately concluded that he would probably just keep doing it quietly, right? Uh, and, and yeah, so. wouldn't wouldn't actually cut it out. Would just be uh, just a little bit more subtle. About, there we go. Yes, mm. but the British Foreign Office, like the Americans, uh, were happy with that. Less concerned <laughs> about the killings per se than about the publicity surrounding the oh. killings, as long as you can hide it, keep it quiet. Look, do it in hide you know, CIA black site yeah. somewhere. Hide it and keep it we quiet. We just don't want to know about yeah. it. Oh. Yeah, do it in um, Gip, Gip, not Gitmo. Where would, where did they do? America did its tortures. Uh, Al-Gara- uh, Al-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-Gara-
and you're leaking not asking for these much. photos. Jesus. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I've got for today. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like everything's falling apart. Meanwhile, does this sound familiar? Things are falling apart, and the American politicians are fighting amongst themselves. Nothing has changed. Yeah, but the fascinating thing is, like, everyone wants to get out. Yeah. The British want to get out. Truman wants to get out. Chinese want to get out. But they can't agree on the terms for getting out. out. Yes. That's bullshit. It's we want to get out, but we don't want it to look like we're getting out because then our enemies will use that against us. We we want to get out, but have a win at the same time. Can you do that? Is that too much to ask? Can we like surrender, (laughs) but still win? Because like we're Americans. That's how we're going to claim victory. We we yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, well, we're going to claim victory. <laughs> you know what we're going to do? We're just, we're just never going to talk about this war ever. Right. We're never going to write books about nope. it. Go into the libraries. You won't find any books nope. about this war. No detail. Uh, no, no, no documentaries. Right. No, because you know what? Never happened. Yeah. Never happened this war. Not, we couldn't lose. It's not possible. Right. We, it's, look up American Army in the dictionary. It says always wins. That's just, you know, America That's always us. wins, motherfuckers. Yeah. Winners, whether we win or lose, we still winners win. Winners always. But you would think that Truman might have had the wherewithal to go. You know, after as bad as things have been, I might actually be more popular by pulling out the troops. You know, maybe fifty percent of America will be yay. He got <sighs> clearly. He didn't even come close to thinking that was a possibility. But who knows? Yeah. Who knows? All right, we'll see next time what happens next. Yeah, maybe they'll pull out. Maybe this is it. Maybe they'll get out. Always pull out. That solves all my problems. (laughs) I'm coming. (laughs) An iron curtain has descended across the continent.